Broadcasting from the ESPN Radio Studios in Tallahassee, Florida. And in partnership with the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network. This is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast with Tom Lang. Bye-bye, Boston. Yes, indeedy. For the second time in three years... Get out of here, Bruins. This is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast, part of the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network, brought to you all postseason long, all Stanley Cup playoffs long, by our good friends at Bill Curry Ford. And oh, happy day. I should have the choir. I used to have the choir music every once in a while. Maybe I can dig it up as I'm uh, rummaging around the screen. But oh, happy day. Another year in which the Tampa Bay Lightning play the Boston Bruins, in which they lose game one. They're summarily beaten by the Bruins and in which they respond by beating Boston four times in a row to carry the series. On to the Eastern Conference Finals for the fourth time in six years. Will it be our second trip in that span of time to the Stanley Cup Finals? And will it be our first opportunity in that time to actually meet the commissioner at center ice to hoist it? It feels a little bit closer now, doesn't it? There's something that happens here at Florida State with uh, the college baseball team, and uh, hopefully they get to come back next year. But they're snake bit. It's a it's one of the most historic programs in all of college baseball, and yet they've never won the College World Series. And so there's this effect, an expectation. They won a lot of games over 40 consecutive years. That you know, if you get to level one or level two of the postseason. That is fully expected, and so the nerves don't really kick in. You can only disappoint. You can't exceed expectations. But then when you get to the College World Series, when eight teams remain and the goal is so close, that's when the butterflies kick in. And for me as a Lightning fan, in the same way, round one and two, even though round two is against the Bruins, I didn't have those butterflies that come with the expectation of hoisting the trophy. Now I do. Eight wins down, eight wins to go. Since last we spoke, two games were available to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We won both of them. Were we the better team? Uh, In game four, yes, we were. Boston came out firing in the second period of game four. And we had already taken the lead, and and we expanded that lead by the end of the second period. But I thought, by and large, uh, second period of game four, 12 minutes, 15 minutes of that period, Boston owned it, but Andre Vasilevsky stood tall. As we signed off last week, one of my thoughts was, Maybe Vassy has to steal you one between now and and the next time, between now and the end of the series. And as it turned out, in a way, you could argue he stole the second period of Game 4 and then he stole Game 5 outright. That's why you have a great goaltender. For moments like that, when you don't play your best, you can still walk away with a win because you have enough front-end talent and then you have a goaltender who can account for something like an injury to Nikita Kucherov. And we're in a really awkward place right now in the schedule because as I record this on Thursday, September the 3rd, I don't know who our Eastern Conference Finals opponent is going to be. It's likely the New York Islanders, but that doesn't mean that it's 100% guaranteed. If you take a look over in the West, Dallas had a chance to shut down Colorado. The prohibitive favorite to win the Cup over Tampa Bay just a week and a half, two weeks ago. The betting favorite was heavily Colorado. Yet, they were still down 3-1 to one in the series. Now, the Avs have bounced back and they forced a Game 7. So that series could go any which way. I'm looking at the Eastern Conference and, and I say, all right, 
Game six coming up tonight on Thursday. It's the Islanders and the Flyers. The good Flyers can beat the Islanders by two or three goals without thinking twice. The bad Flyers can lose two to nothing or three to nothing to the Islanders. So I don't know what to expect. I'm not going to try and scout either of those two teams beyond the fact that I'd say uh, Barry Trotz's group is going to be a lot like Columbus's group. Their defense isn't as good as Columbus, but they've got more offensive firepower to counter. But their system is stingy and conservative. We've already been through that. So in a way, we're prepared for it. The Flyers are inconsistent. It comes with youth and inexperience in key areas, and their best is really good, and their worst is quite bad. And you just don't know what team you're going to get. Beyond that, sit back and enjoy. Hope it goes seven games and hope we go triple overtime in all of those games so that when Tampa Bay does, in fact, play those two teams, one of them, the winner, is still feeling it. They're hung over from the previous series, and maybe we can jump on them in game one and get one-fourth of the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Back to us. Nikita Kucherov's injury, according to Joe Smith of The Athletic, is not concussion-related. That is the number one thing that I take away from the series projecting forward. What is 86 health? Where is his health? Because I can't count on Steven Stamkos to be a part of the equation moving forward. And I don't mean that from a standpoint of I'm angry at Steven. I'm just saying that I, there's no way you can predict when he's going to jump back in the lineup. Nikita very much is critical to our hopes moving forward. And when he gets hit in the face and goes down on the ice in game five, he comes back for a few minutes but then is gone for the rest of the game, third period, the couple of overtimes that we played you're saying to yourself, uh-oh, if it's a concussion, and especially if the Islanders had closed out the Islanders uh, or sorry, closed out the Flyers and you had a quick turnaround series, you know, maybe he wouldn't be ready. But according to Joe Smith, who is quite dialed in on this team, it is not a serious and or concussion-related issue, and that is of utmost importance because concussions are dicey. When you can be cleared, it can change day to day. You know, how you feel, how you go through your concussion protocols. I know that from covering football up here. That is not an exact science. You have a baseline test. They work you out against the baseline test. A lot of times it's cardio work on the bike. You're staring at a wall and they check your heart rate and then they check your eyes. And either you pass it or you don't, but you just can't know. So if it's not concussion related, that's huge. I love what we're doing 11-7. and seven. Uh, Ryan McDonough phasing back into the lineup in Game 5 was big for us. I didn't expect that he'd be playing the lion's share of minutes, but then you go into a couple overtimes, and, and he plays a ton. He plays the second most in the decor behind Victor Hebben, so they threw him right back into the shuffle. But I like the fact that we did play 7-D. I thought that was really smart. Um, you know, moving forward here, I think 11-7 and seven is the way to go, even with McDonough up to full strength. If you're going to rotate in a fourth uh, line forward, and that is going to be the combination of Nikita Kucherov or Points or Palat or Yanni Gord, that person that you create, this is the same talking point from last week, but that extra player, quote-unquote, that you create from three minutes of point and four minutes of Kucherov and, and three minutes of Palat or Gord is a really good player and better than Mitchell Stevens and Carter Verhage. So hopefully John Cooper continues down that line because the flexibility of having you know, the the chance to move around some of these defensemen, I think, helps. Uh, you know, the number one weakness, I'd say, going forward is our D-zone exits. But it's hard to tell because that's Boston's strength. And Boston was the President's Cup trophy champion. So, again, we're just kind of in a weird place where you're assessing what you are. But I don't know how to scout us against New York or Philly because I don't know if we're playing New York or Philly. Suffice it to say this, Boston is the most offensively talented team we're going to see unless we play the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup uh, Finals. 
Boston is that good. I know they're primarily one line, but think about in Game 4 and Game 5 when, when times were bad for Tampa and how hard it was to get the puck out of the zone. I mean, it was really hard. You feel like you're, you're dancing out of the zone. You're at your own blue line. Next thing you know, it's a back-checking Marchand or it's a back-checking Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron. Even Coyle was really good at that. I mean, guys just being gnats. They were relentless and they were aggressive. You're not going to see a whole lot of that out of the Islanders, certainly. They, that's not how they play. And the Flyers can do it. They just can't do it as well as the top end of what Boston brings to the table. So projecting forward, if you want to play a series in which you're the more skilled team by far, the Islanders are your opponent. If you want to play a little bit more up and down, where you're the much more physical team, then Philly is the opponent. And then in the West, the number one threat, I think, is Colorado because they are just so fast. And they come at you in waves. And that power play is incredible. So, looking forward here for the Bolts, if you had to handicap who you want to face, because we've already seen it, the Islanders, I believe, would be the better opponent. But I just hope, no matter who the opponent is, it goes seven games and you've got another overtime game between now and the end of that series. Um, but you just got to love where we are as a team. How about the commitment of Nikita Kucherov before he got hurt? How about his commitment to defensive play? How about he's been more physical? And he's been the one taunting instead of the taunted. Andre Vasilevsky, his effort to steal us a game outright and to be the brick that we needed, the brick wall in period two of game four. Well, that's it. That's a close game. I know 3 1's the final and they score one late uh, to make it somewhat interesting. We play great for the final five minutes of it, but that's a bounce or two either way. Those first two periods are played relatively even. The goalie is the difference. Halak waves at a shot from 40 feet away that's not deflected, and he misses? I mean, if that was us, if Vasty whiffed on a shot from the point that he saw all the way, you don't think that'd be a five-minute talking point here in the Joe Boltz fan podcast? I guarantee you it would be. The depth, the top-end talent. We're right there, guys. Every team that we're going to play from here on out is a tough out, no matter who it is. The Islanders will have earned it. The Flyers can skate with you. Dallas obviously is good enough to be up 3-1 to one on Colorado. If they finish the job, then, yeah, they've got their bona fides. Vegas, really stingy, and they can get unconscious goaltending. And then, of course, Colorado, the most offensively gifted team. They don't defend a whole lot, but it doesn't matter. They can still beat you 6-4. They are like us three, four years ago. That could be a really fun series if both teams decide to just skate up and down. But, man, so many things to consider between now and when we start the Eastern Conference Finals. There is one note just on logistics. The Eastern Conference Finals is supposed to take place in Edmonton. Tampa is supposed to leave the bubble with the winner of the other series and start the next one in Edmonton. But let's just say that the Islanders and Flyers and tonight, Islanders would have to win, obviously, and then you have uh, a continuation of the series between Vancouver and Vegas. There is a chance that Tampa and the Islanders would play this weekend in Toronto before both teams move over to Edmonton. The idea being there's no sense in having two bubbles once you whittle it down to four teams because the finals have to be played all in Edmonton anyway. So you don't want an advantage to be kicked into the Western Conference team when it comes to distractions and getting used to the hotel environments and all that kind of stuff. You don't want the Western team to have a built-in advantage when you start the Stanley Cup Finals. You'd rather have it to where both teams are pretty much ready to go and, and they're in their groove uh, before the series even starts. But again, 
with uh, with New York or Philly as our next opponent, there's a lot in the air, up in the air. The same way the TV schedule and, and the logistics of when the Eastern Conference Finals begins, we don't really know. So what we do know is the Lightning advanced. They beat the hell out of the Bruins again. That's great. We assert our dominance over them. If you go over to their message boards or, or their comment page on, say, The Athletic, <laughs> we're in their heads, and that's awesome. I know it. Guys, listen, I'm not a Rays fan like you are. Uh, a lot of you are listening down there, but I know that the Tampa market has no love lost for the Boston market or the one in Philadelphia. And so if we are in the heads of fans in the New England and Boston area for Tom Brady, for what the Rays are now and the Red Sox aren't in the AL East and what the Lightning are and the Boston Bruins are not in the playoffs, we've beaten them eight out of ten games the last time, the last two series we played in the playoffs. That's a wonderful place to be. And that is a nice beverage in your hand, kicking your feet up under the umbrella, getting a little sea breeze. That's exactly what that is, something to bask in. And this week, I hope that you just enjoy the break we get, hopefully some rest to be fresh for the next round, and then let the chips fall where they may until we know our next opponent. A couple of notes on some key performers in games four and five, the series overall. We're going to hit on those as well right after this on the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. Lightning fans, maybe the only thing as exciting as the cup run is opening day for the Buccaneers on Sunday, September 13th. And you can watch the game in a great environment with Bucks fans at Big Storm Brewing Company, the tap room in Clearwater, 12707 49th Street North, and their brand new outdoor area will be open more than 3,000 covered square feet, modern, great sound system, Wi-Fi, and of course, indoors at the Big Storm Tap Room is available as well. BigStormBrewery.com is the website if you want to check out the menu or look at all their awesome beers. Big Storm is Florida's best craft beer, and it is going to be one heck of a time out there with Ira Kaufman and Joe Bucks fan and lots of Bucks fans. Opening day, September 13th, Big Storm Brewing Company in Clearwater. I found it. Oh, I feel like praising something today. I don't know what it is. The hockey gods, Victor Hedman's stamina, Andre Palat's magical stick that somehow makes the puck disappear, even though Yara Halak should see it right in front of his face. There's a lot to praise. Bruce Cassidy's inability to coach a tough team. Boston's willingness to let Bruce Cassidy keep his job. Man, testify. There is a lot to celebrate. But nothing more than the deals of Bill Curry Ford. Bill Curry Ford General Manager Sean Sullivan will help you personally by phone, email, or in person at their giant showroom on Dale Mabry Highway. One mile north of Raymond James Stadium. And they're kicking off soon at Ray J. That's the kind of service you get from Bill Curry Ford, Tampa's first family of Ford and owned by the Curry family for the past 60 years. Shop now at BillCurryFord.com and you'll see the incredible 0% financing offers for 72 months and the signature nationwide lifetime warranty on new and used vehicles. For more information, head to BillCurryFord.com. Other things to celebrate? The unheralded signing of one Zach Bogosian. Now, if you look at the minutes distribution of the defenseman, Zach Bogosian is around the bottom. In this most recent game, I think it was something like 22 minutes. Only Luke Shen played fewer minutes than Zach Bogosian did. But if those aren't meaningful minutes, I don't know what are. 
defensive plays, smart plays to get out of the zone. If he gets to the red line, he'll dump it in. Good shots that find their way through traffic. Heady plays, physical play. Zach Bogosian isn't a long-term solution to help this franchise, I don't think, but he is a short-term, better-than-patchwork option. He has been somebody that we can absolutely count on, and he is an unheralded star of this series. And that's kind of where this segment's going to go before we sign off for this week. Anybody can talk about Point or Vassy or Hetty or Nikita Kucherov and certainly what he did from about the midpoint of Game 2 on in the series. Like, we get that. But how about the unheralded guys that help make the difference? How about the Zach Bogosians? Or how about Pat Maroon? I've brought up Patrick Maroon a lot the last few weeks, but what a difference it makes when you see scrums around the net and guys not willing to take on 14. And they'll give him a face wash only after the official or the linesman arrives, and then he just laughs in their face. That is an element of hockey that Tampa Bay has hardly ever had, ever, across the eras. You'd have to go back to, like, the Sandy McCarthy days, right? I mean, we had some dudes uh, when everybody had goons, but when the game transitioned post-lockout 2004-2005 into a game that featured more skill, the obstructions were called more often, we don't have a whole lot of enforcers here in Tampa. And Maroon isn't a goon like in the old days where he doesn't have any skill to him at all. He's a great presence on the fourth line. He could be a great presence in front of the net on the power play if we wanted to use him more. He's got some skill to him. But post-whistle, you do not want to mess with him. He's a poor man's Brian Boyle, but he's more sturdy on his feet because he's not quite as lanky. He is strong, man. And you can tell there are times when the scrums after the whistle around the goal, right? We've got a whistle, Halak freezes the puck, or the next goalie freezes the puck. And there are times when he's on the ice and he's not. And it's amazing how much more peaceful things are when he's on the ice. He has been a huge presence. You can tell people feel more comfortable knowing that Pat Maroon is there to enforce some things in case... We get out of whack. How about Barclay Goodrow in the dot? He was absolutely dominant in Game 5. Completely unexpected, but he took on and beat Bergeron consistently. I wonder if Patrice Bergeron got hurt somewhere in that series because his face-off capabilities went from all-world elite to holy average very, very quickly. And he is known for a few things beyond the fact uh, that he is on the first line, the perfection line in Boston. Number one, incredible two-way forward. Defensively speaking, the elite of the elite. It's what Braden Point is chasing, Bergeron status. Number two is the faceoff circle. 60% is, again, an elite of elite number, and Patrice Bergeron will hit that regularly in games. But Barclay Goodrow, among others, did a wonderful job, late part of the series, specifically game five, of making a difference in the dot. So he's an unheralded piece of the puzzle. You know, I could look at some of the other guys on defense, uh, like Luke Shen and Braden Coburn. They helped this thing continue in a key moment. When we went 11-7 and seven in the wake of Ryan McDonough's injury and we needed a lift and we needed to be a little bit more responsible with the puck, those two guys stepped in and were anonymous, like a good umpire or a good official in an NFL game. You don't want to hear from them. You don't want to notice them because if you do, something's wrong. Something happened. And in all honesty, I felt better with Coburn and Shen on the ice for a large part of that series than I did with Sergachev and Shattenkirk together or Sergachev and Chernak paired together. That pairing needs to be fired into the sun. Those two, a little bit careless with the puck and they don't have the confidence to exit the zone. Um, I'd say, you know, if you want to look at some guys that maybe there's some concern, 
Alex Kalorn continues to make some boneheaded plays, some low IQ plays. Sergachev on zone exits. He looks confused at times. I mean, there's a killer goal he gives up by pitchforking it through the middle when he has a chance to go to his forehand and dump it out. You just got to learn at some point, man. If you can get to the forehand and you have time to do so, then do it. Especially when the backhand option would be flipping the puck between the circles. The hell is wrong with you? Stop that. Shattenkirk's been shaky, too. He's he's okay in the offensive zone. You can tell his legs aren't what they used to be, but he's still got the guile and, and the anticipation of a Dave Anderchuk late in his career. Where, where the puck is going, where it needs to go, get a shot through. Even if it doesn't have the extra 10 miles an hour of velocity, get it through. He's fine in that regard, but in the defensive zone, man. You need a bit of an insurance policy there. Maybe it's possible that Jan Ruda would be available for spare minutes in an 11-7 situation by the Stanley Cup Finals. I just doubt it would be in this next series. It's just we need to tighten up on our zone exits a little bit, and and guys like Alex Kalorn need to play a little bit smarter. Anthony Sorelli showed up in Game 5. I will continue to pound the drum. I don't think he's healthy. If you're looking for the explosive first stride, it's not there. He can get up to top speed, but it takes him longer, and I think he's skating tentatively, which suggests to me that there's an issue with the core. I don't know that for a fact. It just He doesn't have the same spunk, and he doesn't strike me as somebody who is just going to shut down because he's having a hard day. He's an effort player. But I'm glad to see that he got on the score sheet, and I'm glad to see that when Kucherov went down, he got some time with the top line. What a reward for a young player who I think is going to be a big piece of this franchise moving forward. Otherwise, you know that third line with Gord, Goudreau, and Coleman continues to be, in, in truth, our second scoring line. Uh, depending upon the matchup, maybe Johnson, Kalorn, and Sorelli can get into the act a little bit more offensively, but they had a really tough job to do this series. So, you know, that was secondary to their purpose. Um, now, we'll see, depending upon the matchup, if if Goudreau, Gord, and Coleman is still a group that you start each period with and, and they're the tone setters, maybe, maybe not. These things tend to ebb and flow a little bit when you play for the better part of two months. Uh, but, and, and Andre Pallott, obviously, has been unbelievable. Uh, you know, a great defensive forward. Uh, you know, If you notice, the way Nikita Kucherov is playing the defensive zone, it mirrors what 18 has done his whole career, which is you get tough on the puck, uh, you bear down, you tighten your hands on, on the stick a little bit, and you try and make some plays to disrupt passing lanes to anticipate the play. 86 game in the defensive zone looks a little bit more like one, what Andre Pallott does. Uh, and I'm just, man, I, I'm happy for him because the glue guys hardly ever become the stars but for at least one series Andre Palat not his triplets mates from years ago not Kucherov Andre Palat was the center of the attention to the point where the other beat writers for Boston are penning stories that he is our Bergeron or he's our Marchand and and that's absurd because he's not that player but the results said he was and and you got to have the results and man was he everywhere he needed to be and he could have had four goals in game five that was the weird thing about Game 5 was while Boston dominated for stretches and Boston did a really good job of forechecking, it wasn't Tampa Bay with the culture of complacency in the first 10 minutes of the game. In fact, if it wasn't for Halak standing on his head, we're up 3 to nothing probably by the second media timeout. So Tampa's disappointing uh, performance in carrying the play in Game 5 is for two reasons. Number one, Boston's desperate. Number two, we lose Kucherov for half the game, and so therefore you've got tired forwards in the third period skating all over the place trying to account for the minutes lost. Because it's not like you're trying to replace 11 minutes a night. You're replacing 20, and that's before you get to overtime. 
So I'm not mad at Tampa for how Boston outshot us or maybe they outchanced us a little bit by the time you get to the third period. I thought we came out and we looked to end the series in the first 10 minutes of the game, and we just didn't. Halak made some saves. We hit a post or two. So that's going to happen. Now you get the rest, and the next test of maturity comes, the Eastern Conference Finals. It's been a bugaboo of ours. It looked easy when we got through the Rangers in 2015, Game 7. They had never lost in the Garden. We went 2 to nothing. Win a Game 7 in a building that no visiting team had ever won a Game 7 before in. Now, since then, you've got the failure against the Penguins with a chance to close the series out in Game 6. You had a failure against the Washington Capitals with a chance to close the series out in Game 6. Washington series had a chance to win a Game 7 at home. Close out the series. Couldn't do it. Here's your next challenge. Stick to the plan. The plan for us for the next week? All right. Next couple of days to be specific. Sit back. Hope that Philly wins tonight, forces a Game 7, and then pick your poison of which team you'd like to face more. I would say that root for Dallas in Game 7 of that Western Conference series. I don't want nothing to do with Colorado, but the games are really entertaining, as I've said the last couple of weeks as well. And also, if you need a new car, go see Bill Curry Ford. That's part of the plan as well, folks. And enjoy the fact that next week when we sign on, JoeBucksFan.com's primary purpose, the Bucks are going to kick off against the New Orleans Saints. And by the time we talk next week, it'll be the first game of the year for the NFL. So be sure to lock it in on JoeBucksFan.com for all your best football coverage in the Tampa Bay area. They do a wonderful job. And they will run through a wall like Leonard Fournette to get you the latest news every day. New Buck, excited for that too. This has been the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. It has been a pleasure, everybody. I'll play a little bit of the doors for you on the way out because we did win another series, eight down and eight to go. I hope you enjoy your weekend, and I hope these first few games of the Eastern Conference Finals go A-OK. We shall see. Until next week. 